0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities. Join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics organization. It all starts right
0: now. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. I hope everybody is really enjoying A's cast. Because I can tell you, we are really enjoying doing it. You know, when it first got brought up, you go, oh, this seems cool, seems like a good idea. But you just never know. Especially like opening day when we we launched the inaugural broadcast where we did a four-hour live show. Let me tell you something. A lot can go wrong in a four-hour live show, a tremendous amount. I was so proud of everybody who was involved because other than a couple glitches early because of Wi-Fi, it, went, it, it worked. It absolutely worked. We had a great show. And we had everybody in the organization, basically, come down to where we were by the third base dugout, whether it was President Dave Cavill or COO Chris Giles, vice presidents, Players, the skipper Bob Melvin, the broadcasters, front office people. I mean, we had an absolute full show. And couldn't be more proud that we made it happen. And now what we're going to do is just keep giving you more content, as much content as we can possibly produce. So you can learn more about your Oakland Athletics, enjoy your Oakland Athletics, And it's just not about the A's. We're going to be doing it with with everybody in baseball, every team that comes to town. We're going to be talking to their people. We're going to be talking to the top calmness in the game, the top personalities in the game. And today's, today's A's Unfiltered, which I'm really excited about, you got two of my favorite guys of all time. Mark Langston. You remember how good Mark Langston was. He was an all-star. He led the American League in strikeouts three times. I mean, he was legit. Grew up in Santa Clara. Grew up going to A's games. Modeled his game after Vita Blue. Is the greatest San Jose State Spartan baseball player of all time. That's our connection. We both played at San Jose State. So I always like talking to Mark. And what was really cool about when I interviewed Mark was is it, it was Little League day. So as I'm in the dugout, in the Angels' dugout, interviewing Mark, all the Little Leaguers are walking by with their dads and moms. So it was a lot of fun. Then the other guy, and you hear him more often with me, whether it's on A's Total Access or television that I've done with him, is Bip Roberts. I grew up watching Bip Roberts. Bip Roberts was one of my favorite players as a kid growing up and now being able to get to know him professionally over the years. I mean, we've done hot stove league shows together on other stations. I mean, we've done a lot of stuff together. So we're going to sit down with the Bibster and talk a little A's baseball. That'll be a lot of fun. John Shea is our only national baseball columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. He arrived over at the Coliseum not too long ago. I caught up with him on his thoughts about the A's. And then the guy we're going to lead off with, you love him, and why wouldn't you? He's a hell of a kid. Sean Maniah. Sean Maniah, it was reported, he's starting to throw the baseball again. So that means I had to go down and talk to him. He's throwing it at 90 feet. He had shoulder surgery, and shoulder surgery is really scary. It's scary because it's not like Tommy John. Some of you guys come back from Tommy John and still have a terrific career. Shoulders, you just never know. You don't. We we don't have a Tommy John surgery for shoulders. It's just it's just more complicated. And Sean had a phenomenal year last year. You know, he got up to twenty seven starts. We were like, wow, he's gonna you know he's gonna anchor this staff and have over thirty starts. But unfortunately, his season was cut short because of shoulder surgery. He went 12-9 in 27 starts. Everybody remembers, though, April twenty-first, two 2018. Sean Manaya pitched a no-hitter against the Boston Red Sox. I can tell you that was a fun postgame show. He was the first athletic pitcher to throw a no-hitter. Since, of course, Dallas Braden's perfect game in 2010 that's why you go to the ballpark every day because you never know what's going to happen you never know when you show up to the coliseum what is going to happen so he's feeling better he's got a big smile on his face and it's great to see here is my conversation from last week with the big lefty sean mania so we got good news that you're starting to throw again how are you feeling
2: i'm feeling great um yeah going back to 90 feet now and and uh, everything's feeling awesome uh, shoulder's feeling great. There's no problems or anything, and I and, uh, feel really re- healthy and really strong. So um, the throw progression's been going well, and, and uh, yeah, every day just, just getting better. It's great to see you got
0: a smile on your face.
2: Yeah, you know, I got to go through this rehab process with uh, um, a chip on your shoulder, and, and uh, you know, just got to have a, a positive mindset because uh, you know it's time to, to get better and, uh, and work on things. So that's just the way I'm taking it, and uh, it's been going well so far.
0: Once you start to throw, and you don't feel any pain. I mean, I, take us through that because that's just got to just be glorious when you're able to throw the baseball and you don't feel anything.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, it kind of started with uh, with stretching and and uh, like warming up. Like before, it would take me a while to get warm up, warmed up, and and uh, it would take me like forever to just be able to start throwing a ball. And, and now it's just, you know, I can pick up a baseball and start throwing and, and not have to worry about uh, having pain in my shoulders. So. Uh, having that it's uh, it's been it's been awesome and, and uh, you know, I'm just happy that I don't have any more pain were you pitching through pain before the injury uh yeah i mean pretty much the whole season it was uh it wasn't like obviously like i was able to throw but uh yeah every, pretty much every every uh start there was at least something going on and, th- and that, that's just miserable yeah i mean uh, couldn't really do as as much as i wanted to but uh, you know it was just something that happened and uh,
0: you know I just had to work through it so when you're thinking about timetable, I know they're saying, you know, that we're, we're not getting a timetable. But for you, when do you think you'll be back on the mound throwing?
2: Uh, hopefully uh, somewhere around the halfway point. Uh, you know, it just all depends on, on how everything feels. and. And um uh, you know what the what the team decides, so uh, you know, I'm just going to keep continue work and and uh, whenever that day comes, just be ready for it.
0: And you know, even though that uh, the year didn't end up the way you wanted, it was still was a special year with the no hitter, well, it was just amazing.
2: Yeah, no hitter obviously was uh, was awesome, but you know just team wise. it was uh, just fun to be a part of this team and and uh, uh, you know to be able to go to New York for the playoff game was uh, was truly something special. and all the other crazy things that happened last year was uh, it was just a fun year overall.
0: Yeah. And I think about this team and you know being down at spring training, you know, there really weren't expectations last year, but expectations this year. What were you sensing when you were down at spring and and what's going on now? Uh,
2: I mean, I, this team's uh, uh, still something special.
0: You know, we uh, we got a bunch of players that can play and,
2: and uh, the team chemistry is still there. So uh, I, I don't think we have to change much. We just continue what we've been doing and, and uh, you know, just go out having fun and, and uh, uh, just do our own thing and, and
0: I think we'll be fine. Now, I don't know if you guys have talked about this, but I just start in my head, start thinking about you, Lazardo, Puck. I mean, young guys with electric arms, you guys all come back healthy. I mean, have you really envisioned what this rotation could look like long-term? Yeah,
2: uh, yeah this team could be, uh, or the this, this starting rotation could, could definitely be uh, uh, something truly special and, uh, you know, just waiting for everybody to get up here and everybody to be healthy and, and uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely been on my mind, but um, you know first things first, we just everybody's got to get healthy and uh, um, you know just get out here and pitch. So I'm uh, looking forward to that.
0: Is there anybody you lean on and talk to through this process who's maybe been through this process to help you get through it? Uh, not uh,
2: particularly. I mean, Goose and I uh, have been going through this for uh, since last year, so uh, him and I are kind of not on the same path, but we're uh, pretty similar. So him and I have just been, been talking back and forth, and we were down in Arizona rehabbing, and, and now we're up here together. So uh, I'd say him and I are, are pretty close in, uh, in rehab processes and, and just going through the same stuff right now. So life actually you know pretty good for you, you know, compared to where the last time we talked. Yeah. yeah. You know, I can't I can't complain about a thing. Obviously, you know, being hurt sucks, but uh like I said, it's just something you have to go through and, and uh, it's time to work on things and uh just step back and and uh really appreciate where you, where you are and and uh, how things are going. So, uh uh yeah, I'm just just happy to be here and and happy to uh, you know, hopefully get better and, uh, be stronger. And, and, um, you know, when it comes time for me to pitch, then, uh, you know, I'll be ready.
0: Yeah. Appreciation. I remember talking to Chris Bassett and spring about, you know, for the first time this off season, he could throw the baseball again, like he used to throw the baseball. And it makes you appreciate what you have. And obviously that, that, that's you're living proof of that mm-hmm, for sure. It's, uh, you don't, you don't realize what
2: you have until it's gone. And, and, uh, you know, sitting back and, and rehab and watch guys throwing and, and playing catch and, and uh, just playing baseball, uh, you know, make you have time to think. And, and uh, yeah, I'm just truly
0: appreciative to where I'm at right now and, uh, you know, how far I've come. So it's just another, another step in the road. Well, I know you're going to have a bobblehead celebrating the, uh, the no-hitter, which would be really cool. But let me speak for all A's fans. We can't wait to get you back on the mound and get you pitching for the green and gold again. Thank you very much. I can't wait. Can't wait to see him get back on the mound, no doubt about it. From one left-hander to another. Mark Langston was one of the premier left-handers during his time in Major League Baseball. He was a second-round draft pick by the Seattle Mariners out of San Jose State. He was a four-time All-Star. He was a three-time American League strikeout leader. He was a seven-time Gold Glove winner. Played for the Mariners, the Expos, the California, then Anaheim Angels, Padres, and ended with the Indians. Bay Area kid who grew up loving Vita Blue and patterned his game a little bit after Vita Blue. And one of the great things about Mark Langston is he's just a really, really cool guy. And he was one of the first guys to really get paid. Like, sign one of those contracts where you're making X amount of millions of dollars. He was one of those guys. So when the Angels were in town, I was able to catch up with Mark Langston. We started talking about the first time I met him was when I was at San Jose State. And it's a great story, and it's a story that he has never forgotten. I've never forgotten. All my teammates have never forgotten. It was a magical moment. And we'll talk about what I've been doing with like a lot of people is how do you like all the new technology for pitching, you know how 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 are guys utilizing it? So we'll get into pitching. We'll get into life. Uh, we'll get. He actually, since we did the interview, we were in the dugout. It was Little League Day. He remembers Little League Day as a kid at the Coliseum. He's one of the great guys in the game. Here's the left-hander, Mark Langston. Well, it's always one of my favorite times of the year to get together with the greatest San Jose State Spartan baseball player of all time, Mark Langston. Just to give you a little story, the first time we actually got to meet was back in 1995. Strike was going on. We were taking on Cal State Fullerton. They were number one in the country. They had just pumped us two straight games. You come down, throw BP to our team. You take us down the right field line. You give us this pep talk. And at this time, it's my senior year. I'm a team captain. So after you got done talking to us, we got up and went, yeah, we're going to get these guys. And we went out and beat Cal State Fullerton. And Mark Kotze, who's still a part of the A's, was on the team. He remembers this game because it was the last time they lost. They would eventually roll the rest of the conference, the Big West, roll through the regionals and the College World Series. And we all remember that day, and it was a great day. And the first time I actually really met you, it was, I was actually working on the Angels station, and I met you at the golf tournament out at Cherry Hills or Cherry something. And I told you that
3: story, and you remembered it too. Oh, it's, I'll never forget. Obviously, you went to Spartan, always a Spartan. So I was because of the what was going on with the strike, I had a little extra time. I went out to the game. We don't really get the chance to connect during the season with your college team. You kind of try to follow them from afar. And, and I remember going and seeing the first two games and they were ugly. They, it was like a, a, a beating. And I, I totally remember that. I remember throwing BP and everybody was sitting in the cage. I'm trying to throw four Seamers right there. And so it was kind of fun. And then the, I remember the conversation because I, obviously you play the game for, I was fortunate to play the game for a long time. I've been on both sides of that. been on the side where you're stomping somebody, and I've been on the side of being stomped for two days. And, and there's just only two ways to react. And I, and I remember saying, you can roll over like that other team over there expects you to roll over today, or you can come back and fight. And if it's break up a double play, play the game hard with all the intensity that you can possibly have. I, I totally remember that, and I was sitting in the stands. You guys ended up uh, taking down Cal State and I couldn't have been prouder to, to sit there and watch that in the stands. Uh, and it was, it was fun to really see – the level lift up, and and that's what this game is. A lot of times, you can get caught up, especially certainly after getting beat down for a couple of times. It, it's easy to kind of just go, oh, "Woe is me," and but you you have to show up, and that's what's the beauty about this great game. It seems like there's always another day. There's the next day, and certainly that you guys came back the next day and took it to one of the best teams in baseball, and it was fun to sit there and and really see that all transpire right in front of me.
0: You know, whenever I bring you on, it's amazing that people reconnect with you because a lot of people forget you're a Bay Area kid. You were a terrific soccer player back in the day, and I know in Santa Clara, and then what you did at San Jose State. It was it like for you when you come back here? Because this is home.
3: This is home, and it's Little League Day here at the Oakland Coliseum. So. For me, I remember as a kid coming here for photo day, having my picture taken with Dick Green and some of the the A's greats, sitting on, you know, walking this field as a kid, looking up at the stands and looking how big this thing This looks so big. And I remember the first time getting the opportunity to come as a player on this field. It's special. I had an opportunity, my first All-Star game was here in Oakland. So to have, you know, my friends and family uh, participate in that. And then certainly my first start, I'll never forget, here in the Oakland Coliseum, had all my high school buddies were all sitting there at the game. And maybe one of them or two of them may have had an adult beverage or two. <laughs> and I remember our, our manager, Dale Crandall, took me out in the seventh inning. We were ahead two to one. I had some base guys on base. He took me out and like five of my guys came down and they leaned over into the dugout and they're screaming at the manager what are you doing he could get out of this jam what are you doing and I'm, I'm a rookie and i'm sitting there going oh no <laughs> and i remember that and then the next day my the manager dale Credle pulls me aside and he goes are your friends coming back here today and i went oh, i don't think they'll be back today but it's always special to come back this is where i grew up i grew up in the you know up in santa clara and uh And what a great childhood! This ballpark means a lot to me. Growing up, uh, you know, in the Bay Area, uh, coming to a lot of the, going to the A's games, Giants games, uh, as a kid. So, this is always a special place for me. Will always, you know, be a special place for me. Wasn't Vita Blue your guy? Vita Blue was my guy. Growing up, if you look at any college pitchers back at San Jose State, man, I, when I growing up as a kid, two guys are really. Paid attention to from a pitching standpoint was Juan Marichal. I got the chance to, to sit there and, and watch a lot of Juan Marichal games and Vida Blue. And I tried to morph some mechanics between the two of them. I had a big high leg kick, but if you look at my college days, my hands were below, just like Vida Blue. I've never ever met Vida Blue, and it's like he's always. I, I know he's around a ton. That's going to be one of the big thrills for me uh, in my life is to be able to sit with Vida Blue to talk to him because he had such an impact uh, on me. And as kids. I always tell kids, watch what the the big guys do. Try to mimic what they do. Because these guys are the best in in the world at what they do in their craft. Watch how they hit. And I tell kids now down in Southern California, they get a chance to watch the greatest player on the planet right now with Mike Trout. You just watch how Mike Trout goes about his business. Watch what he does in between innings or when when they're hitting, and he's not at the plate. He's on the top step of the dugout watching every pitch. He hits a ground ball back to the pitcher. He puts his head down. He runs as hard as he can to first base. Those little intangibles, man, are so important for, I think, the youngsters to be able to watch and and find somebody that, whatever position you play, and and watch how they go about their business.
0: All right. first of all, Vida Blue is like one of the coolest guys ever. We gotta hook you up with Vida Blue, because Vida's a beauty, but Last night I was talking about this in my postgame show. Mike Trout's 27 years old. He already has 30 home runs and 75 RBIs career against the A's. And he's only 27. I I, I just, ever since, you know, because we get to see him so much, and and, and I'll always be watching Angels games just to watch him. I don't know, you know, take steroids out because we saw some guys become super players. I don't know if I've ever seen a better player than him.
3: You know, my last year in Seattle and uh, back in the day, I'm not going to call it years now, uh, was Ken Griffey Jr. I was there. My last year in Seattle was Ken Griffey Jr.'s rookie year. And that is the only guy I can ever kind of compare the two because both those guys made the game look so easy. And what they did, it's like the game slows down for them. And I see that with Trout. I see him. He put in that bat a few years ago on Chris Sale, who was throwing 98 miles an hour and Trout kept fouling off a pitch. And he threw him a 3-2 changeup that most guys would have been spinning like a top in the batter's box. He waited on it and ends up hitting a grand slam off Chris Sale. On a And, and Chris Sale just was stunned because it was perfectly executed, 3-2, down at the knees, on the outside corner, and he hits a home run off him. He is so special at, at every aspect of the game, and uh, it, it's he doesn't take it for granted. This He works harder or just as hard as anybody in the game, uh, he's here early all the time, taking early BP. He watches video. He's a student of the game. He's always talking to people. So it's, it's not – he's certainly got the talent, but he also puts in the hard work behind that. And the thing
0: that drives me nuts is when people say, oh, people don't know who Mike Trout – Mike Trout doesn't need to be that I, 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 me, 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 I have to endorse everything. He's fine with just being a baseball player, and obviously he got paid, so money's not an issue.
3: You, you look at one of the most one of the most respected guys. There's a, there's a bunch of them out there, but one of the most respected in baseball history, Derek Jeter. How much did you know with Derek Jeter? Derek Jeter was a crazy quiet guy. Not a guy that was seeking outside stuff. Derek Jeter was always you know to himself. That's my, one of Mike Trout's favorite players ever as a kid. We talked about mimicking the guys that you want. Derek Jeter was that guy for Mike Trout. So that you learn a lot from that. So. Uh, he's special in in every aspect that you you want to you want everything i always tell people close your eyes in your head what's the superstar that you can put in your mind and it should be mike trout's face you
0: know i think about you and you're very humble but you were one of the premier pitchers back in your day and when you think of how pitching has evolved from a standpoint of all these high-tech cameras the rapisado and the radar and everything that they're doing what do you think about the technology and what's going on with pitching now
3: it's everything evolves. Everything that we're doing. You're you're doing this on a phone right yeah. now. So it's like, uh, you know, everything. There's evolution to everything. I was always an information. I I liked. You want as much knowledge as you possibly can get, and there's a lot of it. You gotta you gotta know when to, you know, use what you can use and, and get rid of some of the other stuff. You can get overwhelmed by that. You could get overwhelmed by. You talked about some of the new technologies. Is my race cocked to you know two degrees to this way instead of up. If you're on that mound, if you're thinking that, you you see a pitch and you release it, and you see the result, and you're going, okay, my wrist was two degrees or three degrees to the left. I need to get more on top. If you're thinking that, you are going to have a very short day out there. You have to get back to the basics, and I don't care how much this game evolves. It's still me versus you, that competitiveness, and it's a game you have to constantly adapt and constantly make changes because you could have the best scouting reports and all this stuff and there's days where that stuff that you think you're going to count on is not there. So how what's my B plan? You know, you have to have the B plan ready to be inserted instantaneously if the A plan is not there. And that's the difference between having success at the major league level and then kind of some struggles because there's going to be more days where you don't have that good stuff, but I still got to get outs. How am I going to get my outs? You have to be able to adapt as quickly as possible. But, you know, I, I like it. I, I'm not completely sold on all this because I still think this is a game, as we watch these little leaguers go, they're not thinking about their launch angle. They're not thinking about a lot of these things. All that stuff comes naturally. When you start looking at it from a throwing angle, your arm slot's kind of your arm slot that you had when little league. you know, that's kind of where your arm slot is. You don't really like to tinker too much with those kind of things, of the normal things that you grow up playing.
0: You know what scares me is, you know, when, when you when you're in the bullpen and you're getting ready to start, what may work in the bullpen. May not work out there, and what wasn't working in the bullpen may be working for you when you're out there. The adjust, like I'm worried that guys are not going to learn how to pitch and adjust.
3: That's the one thing that I think it's the baseball instincts, the stuff that you know. I had to learn. We didn't have all the technology, so I had to read bat swings. That was my deal. And every time, I always told people, every time there's a guy that swings at a pitch, that is information. You're gathering intel from this guy based on where this pitch was located, how he attacks it, how he goes after that. That's stuff that I had to grow up and learn that in college. You learn it at each level as the the quality gets better and better and better. You have to learn how to be able to react. Uh, And so much now is taken away. I never had anybody call any of my pitches, ever, from Little League, high school, college, to pro. Never did somebody tell me, you know, you're going to throw this pitch. You know, that never happened for me. And in today's game, it happens in Little League, it happens in high school, it happens in college. The thought process, the thinking process, the natural instinct stuff is kind of getting pushed to the side. It's being more the numbers tell you to do this. This is what you got to do. I look at, at the Angels. Andrelton Simmons, I think he's the best shortstop in the game of baseball. And you have Matt Chapman. Those guys, you don't have to tell them, okay, you need to move this way. You need to do this. It, it's almost a disservice to really talented players like that. Let their natural instincts just get into this, and they will make those plays. Those guys are so talented. You don't need to tell them you need to move three steps this way, or we're going to do this way. They know how to react to the baseball, and a lot of I see in the game of baseball, that's kind of getting pushed to the side.
0: Well, it's always great catching up. I know you got to go do a broadcast, but uh, it's always an honor. The greatest San Jose State Spartan baseball player, one of the great athletes to come out of the Bay Area, and now you're uh, killing it in the broadcast booth. We always appreciate the time.
3: It's always good sitting and chatting with you. I love it. Anytime we get to start talk Spartan baseball, man, I'm all about it. In fact, I'm a little disappointed in our Spartans right at the moment. I had a bet with Jim Abbott. Uh, my very close friend, he went to Michigan. The Spartans were back playing Michigan. Th- two really tough games. They were really tough losses, but I, I, now I owe Abby a dinner. So, <laughs> But it's well worth it. It's always good fun, and uh, it's always great to talk about San Jose State. We'll catch up with you soon. Uh, anytime.
0: Super good guy, Mark Langston. And, you know, after we got done with that interview, I started talking about his job because he does Angels Color Radio. And he absolutely loves it. He's like, you know, it's six months. Gives me something to do. Now, he, he, now he's not – I don't know how many people know this, but the Angels, they grind their guys. Those They, they do every spring training game on television, radio. It might be a simulcast, but they're, they're, they do every game. Well, we did every game this year too, but that was, for, that was a first. They do it every year. Langston goes, no, I'm not going down there for spring training. I'll show up when the games count. Why? Because I'm Mark Langston. But, yeah, well, it, that that is a – I hope you enjoyed the story about uh, us beating Cal State Fullerton when they were number one in the country because that, that was big for us. Mark Kotze was on that team. He remembers that day too. Everybody remembers that day. But it was really inspirational to have Mark Langston come talk to us. There was no question about that. All right, coming up next, you always hear me just gush over this guy because – When I was growing up, he was one of my guys. I loved watching him play. He played hard. He was tough. And he was small. And for some reason, fan bases love those guys. The guys that just give it their all. They're not the biggest guys, but they're productive guys. And for you, he's an Oakland guy. Bip Roberts had a phenomenal career. And one of the things we'll talk about, I was there in 1992 in San Diego when he made the All-Star team. But I've, I've done stuff with Bip for many, many years. And you think about his time in Oakland. That was the end of his career, and he knew that was the end of his career. But the years he had in San Diego, the years he had in Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Bip was a super productive player. And now he's turning himself into a very good analyst. I mean, we're very lucky. What we have over at NBC California, when you got Dave Stewart, three-time World Series champion, one of the great big-game pitchers of his time, you got Shooty Babbitt, who's back with the A's, as a, in, in the scouting department, but Shooty's been one of the top scouts in Major League Baseball for a long time. And also having him on the set there, NBC California A's pre and post game live. Best dressed man in Bay Area television, there's no question about it. But it's great to have Shooty and also to have Bip. The insight that these guys give you is second to none. And that's why one of the reasons why throughout the year I love having him on our pregame show, A's Total Access, and we'll get them on more here on A's Cast. But now you're gonna hear my conversation from the A's dugout that I did with Bip Roberts, one of my all-time favorites. All right, it's A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend here on A's Cast, sitting down with a guy that I can honestly say is one of my favorite players of all time. If you know the story growing up in San Diego, Uh, I watched him. Uh, If anybody around here watched your career, Vip Roberts, you know it was me. Well, Tony, you always put this big smile on my face when you introduced
4: me because you make me seem like I was the greatest player in the world, and I appreciate that, man. But we had fun, man. I mean, you grew up in San Diego. You know it was a beautiful place to grow up. And me playing for the Padres, it was just as beautiful playing for that team as it was living in the city. And, you know, we had a great team, and I was a part of it. They just made me what I was, you know, uh, without guys like Roberto Alomar and Tony Gwynn, you know, it was just uh, it would have been
0: a normal team. Well, and I think about your relationship with the city. What was that like to know that there was truly a fan base that loved you?
4: Well, you know, I've always tried to really live in the community that I played in, like really be a part of it. And I think when the Padres had programs where they went into the school system, I think I was one of the first to say, you know what, let me see what I can do down here and help these kids. And It's always been a part of who I am. I just wanted to always just really fit in and just do my part as a Padre, but also as a community leader, just be out there and show the kids that, you know, we were like real people. You know, we didn't walk around with entourages. We were just real people and that, you know, someday if you, you strive to be like us, it could happen.
0: And I think you played with two of the best players to have ever played. And I think about the late, great Tony Gwynn, and I think about Roberto Alomar. As a young player, what, what, what did you learn from playing around true greatness? How <coughs> <would> to be great? <laughs> These guys consistently every
4: day were the same, you know, and they were so positive and encouraging. And, and the thing about it is that they were always there to we could learn from each other. I mean, guys are so good that and the skills we had was a little different from each other. So we would always work out together, hit together, pick up things from each other. Tony was the best hitter I'd ever seen. And I had six years where I worked with him. And I tried to pick up from him as much as I could. I think that at times I tried to be like him. But, you know, Tony was Tony and I was me. But the things that I learned from him, it helped me become successful.
0: You know, a lot of people forget... Because they just remember him late in his career and how heavy he was. But he was a terrific basketball player. I don't know if it stands today, but at one point, he was still the all-time assist leader at San Diego State. He was drafted by the, the, the then-San Diego Clippers, so he was drafted to be in the NBA. Tony was a way better athlete than people knew.
4: Yeah, well, you know, most people didn't follow his basketball career because it was in San Diego State. But he was the type of player that scouts knew about. He was the NBA prospect. Of course, he was a great baseball player. You know, I don't think he played football, but he was a great athlete. He could run, he could jump, he could do a lot of things on the baseball field. He was a gold-glove right fielder. He was the best right fielder in baseball for an extended period of time. So, I mean, when you just think about what he could do on the baseball field, it translated into being a good athlete.
0: And the work ethic he had with hitting. Yeah. And you know what's so interesting is Adam Roden here with the uh, with the A's does all the video. And you think of all the video people use now. Tony Gwynn was the first guy to really use video. He's really like the godfather of video for hitters. Yeah, he started this whole thing when it comes to video. He built
4: a video room for us so that we can go back and look at our swings. And I think it became an
0: obsession with all
4: of us to, to see our swings and our sleep. And I think that <laughs> kept us from sleeping some nights. But it was a great tool to learn from because... I mean, during a ball game, I could see what I did against the slider and then go up there and see where my bat should be according to that pitch and then come out and make an adjustment. And it seemed to work every time. It worked for him, so I knew it worked for me.
0: I was there at the All-Star game. What was that, 1992? I was there. My mother and I went. We sat down the right field line. And I remember there were a lot of Padres in the All-Star game, but there was a ton of former Padres that were in that game, and the American League would smoke the National League in that game. Yeah. Uh, you got a huge ovation. What was that like coming back to San Diego playing in that All-Star game? You know, it was right after I got traded to Cincinnati, and then I come back that year, and I
4: actually make the All-Star team, and it was in San Diego. So I had a lot of feelings going through me at that time. I was happy. I was. I wanted to show San Diego, hey, you know what, you shouldn't have traded me, and You know, but, you know, I had given everything to San Diego, so the fans knew that, and they watched me play, and they knew I I left it all on the field. So I think that was just appreciation
0: for everything I did for them. You know, guys around here, and I'm looking at two of them, the Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time, Ricky Henderson, Shooty Babbitt, who we all love, a former A. You guys grew up here. What was it like then coming back here and putting on the white cleats and playing for the green and gold? (laughs) I knew that was – when I came
4: back, I knew it was the end i had made that full circle you know as a kid i'd left here at 18 and i didn't come back until i was 35 you know and so i knew that this was my last stop probably was my last stop and i think it was according to the way it was supposed to be because right after that you know situation came up within the family and i had to take care of my mother and um i was just in a position to do it so coming back to oakland opened up a lot of doors that i hadn't opened up because like i said at 18 i was gone and now when i come back at the end of my career i meet a lot of people such as yourself and and people in this industry and i think it's the best thing that's ever happened to me
0: well and then i think you know it it led to what you're doing now and and you're so good at what you do and and i've worked with you on television and being a part of the a's pre and post game on nbc bay area just has to be a thrill that you're back home and the, the team you grew up watching and you're the guy educating everybody on what's going on with the game that's funny for you to say that i'm the guy educating people because for so long i've always listened more
4: so than speak and uh... i think now i'm in a position where i can actually you know, give back what I've learned in so many years. But it's just fun to me. I have a lot of fun. It's not work. It's, again, I don't think I've ever had a job in my life. I've always had a, something to do with baseball, and it's always been fun. And so, again, I, I just I just chalk it up to having more blessings than I probably deserve.
0: Well, and I think about your day's coaching. See, so that's the thing I think that, that adds to not only you as a former player, but also as a guy who has coached baseball for years. How do you work that into your analysis when you are on television?
4: Well, that's why I try not to be so hard on the players, because I understand they're human. And it's not that they're not trying to make the play. It's that the play didn't end in the results that they wanted. But it's never for lack of effort. And so I just try to educate you on what could have happened, what should have happened, and
0: why it didn't happen, and, and keep it at that. And I think about this A's team right now, you know, last year, Bip, it was pretty amazing to watch a team that had no expectations and go out and win, just not win, win 97 games. I mean, when you saw that last year, what were you thinking as they started getting hot and they were winning every single day and they were doing it with 15 different starting pitchers? Well, when
4: you come out here early and you see guys working and they were getting their work in and working on specific skills, I watched Marcus Simeon come out here every day and get better at short. Again, when you watch out and you look out there, Marcus Simeon brings a lot of attention. And what happens, the teammates get behind him. I start seeing Chapman out here every day, Pender out here every day, Lowry was out here every day. So what that did was it kind of galvanized the team. And, and I think they started to believe that as they worked, they got better. And it started to carry over to the game. They started seeing results in the game. And when you get positive results, you now get confidence. And, and that was baseball's 98 percent confidence and they had that last year
0: you mentioned marcus simeon let's talk about him because i know we did quite a few shows and we've we've done a hot stove league show together where we talked about the struggles of marcus simeon and you've known him for a long time i mean just how proud are you the guy goes from leading the league in airs Pip, to now being gold glove caliber
4: and a lot of people wanted him to move off shortstop a lot of people didn't think he should be here this is a lot of talk at that time but what we talked to Marcus about was not listening to what was said outside the ballpark and working on what he can inside the ballpark. And just to keep his mind focused on that because people were going to say what they wanted to say. We knew he was a great athlete. He's always been that way. He's played every sport that you can play, and he's always excelled at it. So we just knew it was a matter of him learning the position. And what better guy to learn the position from than Ron Washington? And you got to tip your cap to the ace for bringing Ron back. Because he wasn't a part organization when Marcus became a part organization. And I think that that all played into who Marcus is today. But the one thing Marcus has always had is a work ethic. This guy works harder than anybody else in the league.
0: Yeah, and you know, you got to think when you struggle like that and then you bring in Ron Washington, you know, some players might be turned off by that. But he went he went back to basics and he grinded and the home run that he hit on opening day here against the Angels that's now 68 home runs for him in an Oakland A's uniform. We, you know we talk so much about how good the defense is now we forget how how much pop he has.
4: That's a historical home run because it ties Burke Campaneris at 68 when you talk about all time home runs for a shortstop. But. Miguel Tejada is one of the greatest home run hitters to ever play at short, so it's going to be tough to catch that type of a home run record. But Marcus has that ability, and, again, it's all because of hard work. You know, when you work hard, you expect results, positive results, not just to go up there and, and, and give an effort, but to get the results. And, you know, you can see him just continue to grow every year, every day, and every at-bat. You
0: know, Chris Davis just walked by us, Bip, and I got to tell you, Chris Davis, it's um... – the guy's power, and he's not that big of a guy. No. You don't
4: have to be a big guy in baseball. Not most of these guys out here are 6'4", 6'5". It's about what's in your heart, and it's about what type of player you have been born to become. It's all about hard work and, and, and honing in your skills. These guys here, they work hard. You know, they have skills, they, they have talent, but they're working on their skills to get better. And as you see right here, Chapman, as we're looking out here, he's working on his backhand, and his backhand gets smoother and smoother the more confidence he gets
0: in it. Yeah, when you talk about work ethic, not everybody has that work ethic. Is that some of the things you think, like, as, as front office you look for? Not only do you look for guys for talent, but you look for the guys that have the heart, guys who want to be great, and the guys who are going to go out there and do everything they can to get to that level.
4: You know, it's funny because you hear scouts say, I talked to his third-grade third, third grade teacher. They go way back to when you were first starting to play on the playgrounds and just to see who you were back then. Most of these guys, they've been like this all their lives. And I don't think you could change them. This is who they would be if they came back a second time.
0: When you look at the way this team plays, home runs, score a lot of runs, lights out bullpen and good defense. It's just, to me, one of the things that is is overlooked is how good athletically this team has become.
4: Yeah, exactly. You know, a couple years ago, we were talking about how slow they were as a team. They had no team speed. And we were looking for athletes. And I think that's what happened in the... In the organization, the, the scouts started to change the view of what they were looking for, Start looking for athletes. And now look what you see on the field. Guys can run a little bit. They make plays. They make athletic plays. They can go from first to third on a base hit. They can score on a sacrifice fly. A couple of years ago, we didn't have players who could do that, But uh, unless Coco Crisp was out there on the bases. <laughs> but now you look at it, anybody on this lineup can score on a sacrifice fly or score on a base hit to the outfield from second base into Gracie and Coco back with the organization getting into broadcasting? It is, it is. I think he's going to do a great job, because, you know, Coco's got that swag, man. You, you got to have swag to gotta do have, to you. you got to have swag. some swag. <laughs> Come on, you had swag. You got to have the swag. That's <laughs> the Oakland thing with me, man. You know, we just Oakland boys. That's what I'm saying. When you talk about Ricky and all these other guys, you know, Dave Stewart and Gary Pettis, and there's so many guys came out of Oakland, man. I was just trying to be like them as I came up.
0: So, Modern-day baseball, I want to get your opinion on how the game is being played because it really has changed in front of our eyes in the last five years. And it's different from the game you played. Now everybody doesn't care about striking out. It's about launch angle. It's about hitting the ball of the ballpark. We're not seeing the stolen bases. We're not seeing manufacture runs. How do you like modern baseball today?
2: Well,
4: I, I think it's one-dimensional in a lot of ways. I think in our game, we had to really hit the ball where it's pitched, We try to keep the ball out the air. We try to be a specialist in what we did. We try to be perfectionist that way. I think now, with that launch angle, guys are trying to do things that are different from what we did. So I have a hard time understanding it because I didn't like striking out. I wanted to always put the ball in play. So I think if these guys are okay with striking out, then... It's different from one the way I used to think.
0: Can you imagine striking out three times and being cool with it? No, I don't think I'd play the next day. Come on now. Well, we have this new thing, Ace Cast, and, of course, this is my one of my podcasts that I'm doing. And, you know, throughout the year, we we want to have you on because you know how much I respect you you know, as a former player, but really your analysis, and I think what you can deliver to Ace fans is always huge.
4: Well, I think we just try to stay fresh. We just try to stay current. And just talk about what we see and, and try not to bore people with the, the, some of the past, but keep the past and the future linked together. And, you know, me, I'm just trying to always be on the cusp of something new. And, you know, sitting next to me is Simone McCarthy, and we're going to be working this show this year called No B.S., and that's just simply Biff and Simone. And we just want to <laughs> stay, you know, stay current and stay ahead of the, the, the pace that's happening out there because, as I see it, sports has really changed. And... You know, we just want to be on that same playing field so that, you know, we, we can create more opportunities.
0: Where can we find
4: this show? Well, we're going to actually might be playing right behind you at some point in time. But uh, we're doing the, uh, the the television show. It's going to be simulcast uh, with the Oakland A's as well. Uh, we're going to simulcast it out of Bata, out of uh, San Lorenzo High School. So we have a
0: state-of-the-art uh, TV station that we're going to work this program out of. And then for all the parents out there who want to help their kids get better, let's promote you're, you're, you're training that because you're training that is second to none
4: well the cutoff man uh, we're still the thing is still being marketed and it's still doing well uh, we found the manufacturers that can actually uh, produce it at a lesser cost so we've been able to um, pass that on to the consumer and you know it, it's doing well I'm happy with it and where can we find that you can find that at the teammatesports.com uh, website, and you can order from there, or there's a number you can call at
0: 925-548-3918. Yeah, it keeps you from having to what we did for all those years, shagging all those balls. It just makes it makes practice that much easier. You know, well, as you get older, right, it's supposed to get easier. It's not supposed to get tougher. <laughs> <laughs> Bip, you know you're my favorite, buddy. I always appreciate the time. Hey, man, I appreciate you. Thank you. You know, Bip, Bip had a wonderful career. You know, he was a career 294 hitter. And it'd be higher if those last couple of years were where he kind of faded off. But Bip had 264 stolen bases, hit 294. It's a heck of a career. And it is, isn't it amazing how somebody who came up in 86 and played in the 80s and the early 90s, how, 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 how the game was then and the way it is now, like a guy can punch out three times in a game now, doesn't care. He's swinging – it's launch angle. He's swinging for the fences. It's about hitting home runs. Back then, you struck out three times. You were embarrassed. You were completely embarrassed to strike out three times. My, oh, my, how the game has changed. But home runs are at an all-time high. Strikeouts are at an all-time high. And nothing's going to change because this – you want to get paid? You want to get paid the big contract? You'll get paid for driving the ball, for hitting the ball of the ballpark. That's one thing that happens all the time in my postgame show. During games, people will call up, why didn't they sacrifice bunt in the seventh? Why didn't they lay it down in the eighth? And I try and tell them, these guys don't know how to bunt. These guys don't bunt. Because you don't bunt your way to, to the big leagues. You don't bunt your way to getting drafted. You don't bunt your way getting through the minor leagues. So, since they don't bunt ever, it'd be very interesting to talk to like a, a high school baseball coach to see do you guys even bunt? Because they're not bunting in the minor leagues, they're not really bunting in college. Everybody's trying to drive the baseball because that's the way you move up. That's the way you get to the next level. And eventually, that's how you get paid. And if you strike out, you know what they're going to say, well, what's the difference between a strikeout and a groundout? Now, my argument there would be you put the ball in play, things can happen. When you don't put the ball in play, nothing happens. You know, the three true outcomes Walk, strikeout, and home run, that percentage of the three true outcomes higher than it's ever been before. People in baseball would like to see more action in the game, but when, if you're going to to get a $300 million contract, you're not getting it for hitting ground balls to second. You're, hit, you're, 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 you're getting it for hitting it in the second deck two days in a row like Bryce Harper. That's how you get the big deal. All right, our last one here on A's Unfiltered is our only national baseball columnist from the Chronicle, John Shea, who does a great job covering baseball. And when Susan Slesser, our A's beat writer of the Chronicle, when she takes a day off, John comes over to the Coliseum and fills in for her, and he just normally comes to cover the American League and to cover the A's. So he was in the dugout. I pulled him out of the dugout, and we did actually did this interview, we did this interview because it was uh, Little League day. And it was there's so many little ears around the, the dugout that we actually did this on the field. So we break down the A's with the Chronicles national baseball writer John Shay. He's my favorite San Diego State Aztec. John Shea of the San Francisco Chronicle, our national baseball writer. How are you doing? I'm fine. It's beautiful. It's sunny, and we're,
1: uh, we're playing ball in, in March, of all things. And we're away from the, the,
0: the snowy, cold, windy conditions of spring training. It's not bad. Yeah, you know, it's a little league day, and it's great to see everybody out here. And you know the reality is, is when people start talking about the early attendance, you're right. It's March. We were so used to starting the season after April. It's almost like it's starting too soon. Fans are just not ready for it yet. Well,
1: on opening day, you always think the Final Four is going to be right around there. But we're not close to that, right? Yeah. I mean, we're they're just coming into the, the Elite Eight. And usually when we start the season, it's the first week of April and it coincides with the final four and you always rush home to see who's playing but yeah this is totally different and it's all because you know the union and you know the le- the last collective bargaining agreement they're throwing extra days into the schedule so they're more off days to limit injuries uh you know they're still going to go to late october in game seven of the world series and it's still going to be cold probably wherever we are but you know for the health and and, and, you know, the, the, the well-being of the players is probably a good idea uh, to extend the seasons because, you know, there's no grind like baseball. And you can say all you want about football and, and basketball, but, they, you know, 16 games. I mean, think about this. 16 games in football. That means in, what, four preseason, whatever, maybe yeah. 20 games. So they're on the road for, for 10 games. And it's usually two nights in a hotel. So that's 20 nights in a football season. Well, that's half of spring training.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and for the A's, their spring training was actually cut short with, with the trip to Japan. But, yeah, it, it's it, it's crazy how early we're starting. So, so far, when you look at the athletics, if I would have told you you're going to get six scoreless innings out of Fires, Estrada, and Anderson to start the season, what would you have said?
1: I said, well, you're crazy because that's... That's not the ticket that anyone punched in spring training uh, to have a lights-out rotation. But that's what we've seen through these first three games in Oakland. It didn't work out that way in Tokyo. But, again, we're only, you know, a few games into the season. That has been the weak point. And it was the weak point last year, and they won 97. Um, obviously, they had Minaya early and, uh, you know, a, a much better rotation at the outset than they had at the end when Liam Hendricks was going every few days as the opener and then opened at Yankee Stadium, and that didn't go over so well. But they didn't really upgrade in the offseason. Marco Estrada won, okay, and it's not like a lot of teams would use him as the one or two, but the A's are. Uh, Maybe a three or four or five, more like it. Um, It seems like the A's might have a much better rotation at the end of the season when a lot of these guys get healthy, hopefully in, in, in... you know, Boy, if we could see Luzardo and Puck in the same rotation, that would be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and then in the future, you also see Manaya in mm-hmm. there. I mean, if these young guys get hot, it just kind of shows you with the organizational depth, and we can get into guys like Mingden and Bassett and Blackburn. You know, that was the one thing that really Bob talked a lot about in spring, and I think that's the one thing that we really see with the A's is that it's organizational depth, which is the big key. Yeah, and, you know, how are we going to see it?
1: Are we going to see it from the prospects coming up or from the players they acquired over the years? You know, Pinder obviously came up uh, through the ranks, but Canna did not, uh, Rule 5 guy. And so, you know, most of the roster uh, includes people who came from other organizations. Uh, it used to be back, you know, several years ago that it was mostly organizational, the roster. But now it's not, and, you know, it's cyclical. You know, in in time it could get back to that. Uh, But in the meantime, I think they're relying on a bullpen that might be overtaxed in these first 18 games. Uh, You know, luckily for them, the rotation has been good these first three games in Oakland. But the minute somebody comes out in the second or third inning, it's going to be crazy because how many pitchers can you use to fill nine innings uh, whether it's a blowout or a non-blowout, and from there, what happens tomorrow and the next day? That, that's the real concern for Bob Melvin as he tries to engineer through these 18 straight games. It, they really should not have done this to the A's. They should have, if the A's accepted two in two games in Japan with Seattle, uh, the rule should have been, hey, give us some early days off because we didn't get a whole lot of time in spring training. We didn't get these uh, starting pitchers stretched out like they should be, and we're going to overtax our bullpen. And that's what we might see, you know, by the by the mid-range
0: point of these this 18-game stretch. You know, I start thinking about, you know, that 18-game stretch. You know, you're going to see the Boston Red Sox. You're going to see the Houston Astros. But when you look around the American League, if you take Red Sox, you take Yankees, you take the Rays, you take the Astros, you start – Falling apart after that. It's not like there's a lot of really good teams that we're projecting in the American League. So when you start thinking about the A's chances, if they can rally through this first half, uh, through injuries, get get some guys back from a pitching standpoint, I they're gonna have a shot at going back to the postseason because the American League is just it's just top heavy. You're right, and that, that's the
1: unfortunate things. There, the, the, there's so many fan bases that look at their American League team and say, well, we just have no chance. Really, if you look at it, it's the, there are five playoff teams in the American League, and there might only be six teams going for it, maybe seven if you include Anaheim. But last year, you know, Seattle bounced out, uh, Oakland surpassed them. And then, you know, what were you left with? You were left, you know, with a couple of wild cards. And it seems like Cleveland is the the easy choice, and then you have Boston and uh, New York in the East, and, and Tampa Bay you know, is a team that won 90 last year. And in the West, you have Houston, obviously, and then Oakland, which won 97. It would be rough to uh, repeat that. But who else is there? I mean, we, we, we're looking at Anaheim, and is this rotation going to hold out? Uh, the best player on the planet, and Mike Trout, but how deep is the offense? Um, a lot of question marks. Uh, it's not like the Angels heavily upgraded and neither did, neither did Houston, by the way. I don't know if Houston is going to be as good as last year. But, you know, the power always is in the East, and uh, the A's really have to beat up on teams they need to be up, beat up on. That means Seattle and, and, and Texas and pretty much everybody in the Central unless they come across a hot Cleveland teams and Baltimore and, and, and those teams. So there's a lot of weak links in this uh, league, and uh, last year – the A's seem to have trouble with the Angels. They, had, they seem to have trouble with the Mariners. And uh, you know the teams inside the division, those are really the teams
0: they have to focus on beating up a little bit more this year. Let's end on this. Since the start of February, we've had like 20 or 21 extensions in the game. Players Union wants everybody to go to free agency and get max value. Players don't seem to want to go to free agency right now. they rather get the guaranteed money now in the extensions. And some people feel a lot of these extensions are team-friendly. Is this bad for baseball? Does this lead to labor strife? Well, it's, it's good for the fan base. It means
1: that these players are going to spend more time in the cities that they came up in. I mean, on the back end, obviously, in his late 30s, Justin Verlander got two years. But uh, for the most part, a lot of these high-end arbitration-eligible players or players nearing arbitration are signing for, you know, three, four, five, six years to get them a year or two into free agency. It is a free agent killer in terms of how the union sees it. Uh, and, and I think it's great for the owners because they are getting deals that are probably going to be below market by the time these guys uh, reach their peak in, you know, in terms of maybe late 20s, mid to late 20s. So it, it's, it, it, it is rampant. Uh, it seems like for a while there we had two or three extensions every day to big-name guys. We're not seeing that in Oakland with Chris Davis. We're not seeing that in Oakland with either of the corner infielders. And I think the A's are going to have to maybe catch up a little bit if they're serious about keeping these guys, uh, because we're seeing it all around baseball. And I think that does lead to more labor strife. I think when the collective bargaining agreement ends after the 21 season, uh, players are already talking about strike. And it's not just because, I mean, hey, this is a lot of money these guys are getting with the extensions. It's millions and millions of dollars, in some cases, tens of millions. But when you look at the free agent market, yeah, the, the top-end guys like, uh, uh, obviously, Harper and, and Machado, they're, they're getting incredible deals. But it's the middle-class free agents. And, you know, both the A's and Giants brought in accomplished veterans, and some of whom came on minor league deals, uh, uh, you know, for bottom dollar, for on the cheap. And that's what is really ticking off the union, because all these teams now are not paying for what you did, but they're projecting what you will do, which is a smart way of doing it, right? We've seen so many contracts for players on on the wrong end of 30 that were, you know, turned out to be awful contracts. Some were good, some not. But now we're seeing a lot more conservative approach to those players that, in the team's minds, they can use a prospect to do just as well as a free agent who's 31, 32, who would, would cost several more million dollars.
0: I hope you enjoyed this latest edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. I want to thank Sean Manaya, I want to thank Mark Langston. I want to thank Bip Roberts, and I want to thank John Shea for all being a part of it. This is what we're going to do throughout the season. The people I run into, we're going to have them here on A's Unfiltered because you can't always be listening at the right time to hear these guests for the pregame show. And since I'm able to go long form on the podcast, I can't play usually that long of an interview. So I'll play some of the interview in the pregame, A's Total Access, and then I'll save the entire interview for here, A's Unfiltered. This is just a blast. I'm going to love doing this all season long, and I hope you enjoy. Remember, I'm in the treehouse for every single home game. Come by and say hello Walk in, as you walk in the front door, I'm off to the right. You will see me every single home game. All right, Ace fans, take care. We'll see you at the Coliseum.
4: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.